0: Let us pray. Startle us, O God, with your truth, and open us to your love. And in this hour, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several years ago, I read this opening paragraph in an article that appeared in National Geographic. As the new century began, an epidemic of of terrorism spread panic around the globe. In world capitals, leaders fortified their security and curtailed public appearances. Ordinary citizens felt unsafe walking the streets of major cities, While the terrorists themselves were like phantoms, everywhere and nowhere at the same time, seemingly able to strike at will. Terrorism became the preoccupation of police and politicians, bankers and business leaders. Headlines screamed out news of the latest outrage, Washington stunned by the tragedy in one paper, in great peril in another. One horrific September terrorist attack in the United States sent the stock market reeling and sparked anti-immigrant sentiment. Another attack in Madrid plunged Spanish politics into turmoil over issues of war and peace. Politicians in the U.S. took to describing the war on terror as a struggle of good versus evil, while some leaders, quoting scripture, proclaimed that the end of the world was at hand. The year was 1901. The article went on to recount the political assassinations of Tsar Alexander II and President William McKinley, the attempt on the life of French President Sadi Carnot, and the eventual terrorist assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, the spark that united World War I. I remember taking notice of that paragraph. I remember noting its statements about the rhetoric of politicians and preachers. I'm always struck by the number of public speakers who motivate people by implying either that things are getting better or that things are getting worse. Things are improving, some folks say. Life is better and more hopeful than it has ever been. On the other hand, we hear plenty of people saying we are headed in a bad direction. Be afraid, they say. There are enemies out there and evil forces at work, the likes of which we have never seen. Of course, there's no way that both of these messages can be true. At times, I am tempted to believe one point of view or the other, but as time goes on, I am more and more convinced that neither one is correct. The truth is that things aren't getting so much better or so much worse, but rather that mostly things are staying the same. There are always, in this world, people who are suffering and others who have more than they need. And in the midst of those differences, there are always people who care and other people who do not. On the world stage, empires continue to rise and to fall as they always have. Much more locally, in this very room, at this very hour, There are no doubt some of you for whom life feels pretty good, while right next to you, someone else's world may be caving in upon them. There is a tremendous variety of human experience, and our fortunes can change on a dime. But in the long view, much of the human situation is staying the same. The same challenges remain. And in the midst of it all, the challenge of faith is not to be on the right team because we are all about to be swept up into heaven or down into hell. No, the challenge of faith is to stand firm and to try to follow God's call as best we can during the time each of us is given. Along these lines, four weeks ago, I told you that the book of Hebrews begins with this line. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets, but these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. The author of this book is beginning a letter. It's a sermon, really. And the idea is that God has been speaking to our ancestors for countless generations, but don't stop paying attention, because God has something to say to you here today. The preacher has this urgency and this need to wake up the congregation because they are tired Like plenty of us, the people in this congregation are not new to the faith. They are not energized by having just been saved. No, their struggle is different. These people have known about Jesus for a long time. Long enough, in fact, that faith has become stale and boring. They are tired of serving and being asked to volunteer Tired of praying, tired even of showing up for worship, and they are seriously thinking of calling it quits, or at least taking a break for a while. Has the thought ever crossed your mind? It's crossed mine. So this preacher makes a surprising decision. One might expect that the preacher would try to find better marketing, better community-building strategies, better methods for volunteer recruitment or recognition, but this pastor doesn't do any of that. Instead, this preacher gets back to the main thing. He talks to them about Jesus. Who Jesus is and what difference that is supposed to make in their lives. He doesn't do any feel-good preaching. He talks about the hard stuff. And this past month, we have read his message, and I have tried to follow suit. So three weeks ago, we talked about suffering. We spoke of Jesus as a great high priest. The point being that Jesus is perhaps most present with us when life is at its worst. Two weeks ago, we talked about sin. We spoke of Jesus as a pioneer and perfecter of faith. And we said this means he is the one who gives us a real solution for sin. In a world where most people want just to talk about shame, Jesus offers a hard road through forgiveness and redemption, but it is a road that leads back to real life. And one week ago, we named an important reality. Religion is full of human error. Well-intentioned people have read the Bible over time and hurt others in the name of religion. They've done it time and time again, and we must be on guard. For surely, in some ways, we are doing the same thing today. These are hard subjects. That ancient preacher went deep with his congregation, and the preacher's gamble was that that's what people really wanted all along. It's tempting to offer gimmicks and feel-good sermons, but what people really want is not fluff, but rather substance and purpose. We come to church because we want to think about important things. So this preacher has pushed God's people. And now, at the end of his message, just when it seems like the preacher must have pressed his luck as far as he's going to go, he takes it up one more notch and he gives them some instructions for the road. Let mutual love continue He writes, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. hospitality to strangers, care for the oppressed, integrity in your relationships, generosity with your money. You must be attentive to all of these things, says the preacher. In the midst of all of the things that are already making you tired, you must do these things too. And then he says something. And I am biased because it goes along with that little ili- opening illustration I used today. But I just love this because it seems so very honest. He tells them to do these things not because things are going to get better or because they're going to get worse. No, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The preacher is honest, and in the grand scheme of it, things may be staying pretty much the same. And he says that because he has already told them with his very first words that God has a message for you today. This is the one life you've got. The one chance you have to follow God's call to you and to lead a life that matters. He does no fear-mongering about the end of the world and gives no false optimism about heaven just around the corner. Just the real straight talk. In these days, he says, God is speaking to us. So get busy living. You've got one shot. So I'm going to try in the few moments I have left in this five-week series to stop talking about what that other preacher says and to make a suggestion to you. And in this suggestion, I too am going to take it up a notch in the name of Jesus. On the first week of this sermon series, I told you a story about the Interfaith Hospitality Network, IHN. The program through which we host homeless families, we host parents and their children who have no place to go. We house them here in our church building for a week at a time. Four weeks ago, I called IHN exactly the kind of program that wears out congregations. Because it requires so many of us to step up again and again, and the need just keeps on coming. And then in that sermon, I read an amazing story, written by one of you, one of our volunteers. If you were not here that week, you must go back and read it. And I assured you that it matters very much for us to keep up with this part of our congregational grind. It means something to every parent and child who does not have to spend another night on the street. I meant everything that I said. And I want to commend you today for we start an IHN rotation this evening, and while there are a few volunteer needs left, Many of the volunteer jobs are taken, and I know our faithful volunteers will pull it off once again. What I wish to ask you this morning is, are we satisfied with that? Or is it time for this congregation to be asking why the homeless have to keep sleeping here and what we might do to change that? In a congregation with the gifts of a place like Knox, should we not be asking bigger questions about the stagnation of wages, our city's severe lack of affordable housing, the root causes that make people and keep people homeless? Should we not be asking what we as a congregation are called to do about such things? Let me be clear that I believe hosting IHN is and will continue to be necessary. It will continue to be necessary because many things out there are staying the same. This will continue to be important and faithful work for us. So to you faithful people who keep showing up again and again, and those of you who are doing it for the first time, thank you. And I wish to say to all of us, this group of faithful people we have here at Knox, we have this one shot at life together. We have this one shot at life together. What are we called to do about the state of the world we see around us? Are we thinking big enough? Because when I stand up here and look out at the gifts and skills and blessings that gather in this room every Sunday morning, I know it. We can't wait for someone else because there is no other group of people in our city who is any more equipped to make a difference than the people who are here at Knox Presbyterian Church. Sister Joan Chittister was here to speak yesterday morning. She's a Benedictine nun, a renowned author, a giant of faith. Almost 500 people packed into the sanctuary to see her. For about an hour, she talked with us about the brokenness of our times and our political culture, the hypocrisy of our leaders and institutions, and the plight of our nation's poorest and most forgotten people. And she did so with enthusiasm and grace. She was kind and she was funny. Sister Joan is serious about her work, deadly serious, but she is joyful about it too. Over and over again in her writing, Sister Joan makes the same kind of claims that the author of Hebrews makes in today's chapter. Take care of other people, especially those who our society forgets. Be honorable and truthful in your dealings with others. Don't love money, for it will only make you endlessly long for more of it. Sister Jones says these things not because she wishes to kill our joy or give us even heavier burdens than we are already carrying. She says these things because it is age-old wisdom that deserves to be heard. These are the only things the only things that will ever really lead us to lives of happiness and direction and purpose. And that's what we really want, isn't it? Not feel-good sermons, but a meaningful life. I wish Sister Joan were here to speak to you every Sunday. Instead, you've got me. And I will make you a promise. I will do my best never to motivate you by naively suggesting that everything is good out there when it is not. Nor will I try to motivate you by fear that things are falling apart. The story of the book of Hebrews is good news and it is challenging news. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God loved you a long time ago. God loves you today. And God will love you tomorrow. And God has a deadly serious call on your life. Because this is the only life you've got. Faithful people have gone before us in this place. Living lives of meaning and purpose, taking risks for the glory of God, and when the challenges seemed great, accepting the call to think a little bit bigger. So, as the preacher says in Hebrews, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Jesus says in scripture where your treasure is there your heart will be also every good gift we have comes from God and during our offering time we're invited to return some of those gifts to God and every time we do that our heart has a pretty good chance of following after God's heart we are called to share God's love with the world and our through our offering is one way to do that. Let us receive that now.